Please pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine, if you will, and I have to admit that this might be easy for you, but it's particularly difficult for me. Imagine, if you will, a political candidate that you are particularly enthusiastic about. And I don't mean just a casual supporter, a yard sign and bumper sticker type. I mean truly enthusiastic. You are out pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, making phone calls, giving months and weeks of your time because you think that your candidate is the one who can straighten everything out. In fact, you are so enthusiastic that you rise up through the ranks of the campaign staff, right to the top, and you find yourself the campaign manager and out on the campaign trail, visiting friendly places and many places that are not so friendly, because of course it's a tough race. The incumbent is entrenched and powerful and well-supported. But you still think that if people just knew your candidate, they'd realize that they're the ones who can straighten everything out. And then one day, in a particularly unfriendly place, your candidate calls the inner circle together and asks a strange but simple question. Who do you think I am? What do you tell other people about me? And as usual, you speak up first. You're the one. You're the one we've all been waiting for, the one we've all hoped for, the one that everything has been building towards. You are the one who can straighten everything out. And perhaps a little bit to your surprise, the candidate says, yes, exactly right. Wow, you must have been divinely inspired to come up with that. I am the one who can straighten everything out. And now let me tell you what that's going to look like. When I get elected, we won't get a single bill passed. We won't get one point of our platform through. In fact, things are going to get much, much worse. And then I'm going to be assassinated. But after that, I'll come back and then we can start straightening everything out. Now, after all the time and energy you've invested, you may be a little concerned at this point. You may feel it necessary to take your candidate aside for a private chat to try to convince them that this change in the message isn't going to be good. Try to convince them to adopt a more upbeat message that will attract voters. Try to get them to drop this suffering and death plan for something more traditional. But just as you're about to make your point, the candidate turns around and looks out at everybody and announces that you're not really one of the supporters. In fact, you're their most strident opponent. And that the suffering and death plan is the only one that can work. And anyone who can't get on board with it can't be part of the campaign. Now, if you can imagine all that, Perhaps you can begin to imagine how St. Peter feels at the end of today's gospel lesson. He has risen right to the top of the Jesus organization. He thinks he has it all figured out. 
And sure, Caesarea Philippi, one of the most pagan areas in the Roman Empire, is a strange place to ask these questions. But Peter thinks he knows the answer. He knows who he says Jesus is. And it's not something goofy like John the Baptist or Elijah. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah, the one they've all been waiting for, the one who can straighten everything out. And he's right. And Jesus tells him so. But then he launches into the crazy talk about suffering and dying, about this taking up of crosses, about how the ultimate success lies only at the other end of failure and death. And so Peter, like our imaginary campaign manager, feels it necessary to take Jesus aside. But what they have is more than a private chat. In fact, the original text uses a word for what Peter does that's the same for when a parent scolds a naughty child. He chews Jesus out about this new message. How are they supposed to get a movement started if we tell people that they have to suffer and die after you've suffered and died to get to where we're going? But Jesus' suffering and death is what's necessary for the mission. And that's simply how God ordained it to be. And to question that, as Peter does, is really to ask that age-old and slippery question, did God really say? Does God really know what he's doing? Don't you think that we could come up with a better plan? What Peter does is he steps into the role of that old serpent who's called the devil and Satan because he doesn't want to hear what Jesus is saying. And no one does, not then and not now. What we all want is an easy fix, a quick solution to our problems and a shield from any future problems. We don't want any of this business about taking up a cross. We don't want any of this suffering and dying. We want our problems to evaporate. But that's not what Jesus has come to do. He has come to take up a cross. Because we're all destined to take up a cross. When we're honest with ourselves, we all know that no matter how strenuously we try to avoid it, Suffering and death cannot be escaped. And Jesus does not offer an escape, which is precisely when we really hear it, what makes his message so powerful and compelling. Because no escape can be had. Any offer of an escape would be a delusion and a lie. What he offers instead is something better, not some sort of fleeting relief, but a way through it. An ultimate meaning for our suffering and hope for a new life even in the midst of death. That is what Jesus has come to offer. And that is precisely what will indeed straighten everything out. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, 
and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we who walk the way of the cross may find it none other than the way of life and peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.